Hey everyone, welcome to 41 Strong. My name is Chuck Tate. Great to have you with us today. I want to get right to the show because I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine. His name is Joe Paris. He is the campus pastor of Sea Life Church in Forney, Texas, where right now I'm guessing it is much warmer than here in central Illinois. He is a husband, a father of two young girls. Um, I met him uh, several years ago as a spiritual life director at Peoria Christian School, a school that my, my children attend, and we got to, to be good friends, and he's been a supporter of 41 Will Come, so I'm just honored to have him on the show today. Joe, welcome to 41 Strong, man. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Absolutely. Well, you are a you have a doctorate of ministry from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Seminary. You are an apologist, which we're going to unpack that in just a second. A cultural, a culture shaper, a worldview teacher. Um, you help Christians think well, and we know there are a lot of Christians that don't really know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. And that's where you come in, man. So um, I'm just glad that you're here. First of all, um, how's the weather in Texas? Uh, it's significantly warmer than what's going on in Peoria. So we put away the snow trucks several years ago. So we're doing good down here. All right. All right. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with the snow. There were flurries this morning as I was taking my kids to school. So, man, yeah, we're ready. We're ready for warm weather. So if you could send some of it our way, that'd be great, man. We're doing our best. We'll try. We'll try. <laughs> well, listen, let's get right to it. I mean, there's so much to unpack today. And I want to begin with helping our, our viewers, our listeners that might not be familiar with what an apologist is. An apologist is not, as Peoria Life founder just said to me a little bit ago, somebody who apologizes for being a Christian, right? So <laughs> what's an apologist, man? It's true. Yeah, an apologist is, uh, by definition, someone who gives really good answers to curious questions that people have about the Christian faith. And so people who would say things like, I don't believe in the resurrection, or I don't believe the Bible is reliable, or I don't believe that God exists. Um, this would be a Christian who would come along and say, I think there's some really good answers to those questions and objections, and try to maybe put some rational uh, beliefs to the to the faith. Amen. Cool, man. Well, when it comes to, I mean, obviously we know the Great Commission, Jesus said to go out and preach the gospel. And a lot of, a lot of Christians um, are willing to, to share the gospel without really, a lot of times, even understanding it or even knowing how to convey it. So you have done an excellent job of, of helping um, not just um, young people, but people in general understand what they believe right and, and how to how to convey that so let's let's just begin with um, maybe you know helping helping our viewers and our and our listeners answer um, questions that you know maybe somebody who says I don't believe the Bible I mean how, how do we how do we respond to that yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, you and I, we talked a couple of months ago about this, just the idea of, you know, how do you start with these questions? And I think with somebody who has a question or objection like that, you know, I don't believe the Bible. Um, I think we really have to kind of get to the root of where they're at. And so asking some questions of them. And so 
what what do you expect it to be um how would it what would it take to convince you that the bible is a reliable book and what does it need to be for you to kind of have confidence in it so i think the best thing that you can do as an apologist and just as a Christian is just to ask a lot of questions, maybe 10 questions per one statement, you know, just to really say, Hey, help me understand. I always like to tell my students that, you know, what's the first thing that a good doctor does when you go into his office, he asks you a lot of questions. He doesn't make a lot of statements. He asks you a lot of questions. And if you go into a doctor and you're like, Hey, I'm not feeling well. And he gives a diagnosis. You probably should run from that doctor because he's just giving you whatever he thinks. A good doctor asks good questions. I think a good Christian and a good apologist asks a lot of questions to figure out who they're talking to. Excellent. So, so Christians, I mean, so Christians, so questions are good. We shouldn't be afraid of questions. We shouldn't be afraid to ask questions and we shouldn't be afraid to, to be asked questions then. Yeah. And I think that's been a huge paradigm. I think in the church historically, it's been like seen as taboo to have questions. I mean, people were always like, kind of like, well, you shouldn't have questions. You shouldn't have doubt. But I've always looked at that. That's kind of like me going to the doctor with an illness and the doctor looking at me and be like, well, you shouldn't be sick. And it's like, well, I am. And that's why I'm here to see you. And so I, I think for years when we looked at Christians and said, well, they shouldn't have doubts. Well, they do, you know? So, I mean, we need to deal with that. You know, I was a person that I didn't have doubts until I was a junior in college. And then I started to really ask some tough questions of my faith. And, and people sometimes can look at that and say, well, you were wandering or you were maybe doing something, you know, immoral. And I was like, no, I promise you, like, I didn't want to ask these questions and have these doubts, but I did. And so you have to deal with them. You can't ignore them. And uh, the more the church continues to ignore these questions, the more and more we're going to slide into obscurity in the Western culture. Well, listen, 41 Strong is a, a podcast where we try to share encouraging scriptures and stories to help people hold on and, and stand strong. So why don't we begin, before we start un unpacking some of these questions, why don't you share your story? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in a very uh, religious home, very Christian home, went to the church a lot. You know, we were there Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday Awanas and uh, Thursday, even if nobody else was at the church. I mean, we just we were always in the church. And so um, I grew up in a very um, safe, sheltered environment. I didn't really know anybody that had a different worldview or anybody that had um, a different religious background. Um, I just assumed there were good people and there were bad people and there were people that went to church and there were people that didn't go to church and the people who didn't go to church just needed to be invited. And so that was our job. Um, and it wasn't until my junior year of college that I met an atheist for the first time. And she really asked me some great questions and she really challenged my faith to say, do you really believe that a man rose from the dead, even though nobody else has done that? Do you really believe that the Bible, which is like every other work of fiction is, is a really a true book? Do you really believe that evolution hasn't disproven God? And I remember walking away from that thinking, man, she's asked some really good questions. And if what she is saying is true, then everything that my pastor is saying is false. And so for me, it was a watershed moment where I needed to make a decision. Was I really going to believe this or was I going to you know, walk away from the faith? And I think one of the things that was most challenging for me was a student asked me this several years after the fact. They said, what was the most um, you know, alarming question from uh, this person, from this atheist? And I remember thinking about it and I really couldn't remember the questions per se, but I kept thinking to myself, I didn't know there were questions. I grew up in a church where we didn't talk about these things. I would grew up in a church where it wasn't okay to ask questions, to have doubts. And so I remember for the first time meeting an atheist thinking, man, I had no idea this was even going on. And I like to tell my students that, you know, it took the church 20 years to build into my faith and it took her 20 minutes to destroy it. 
And there's a problem with that in the church if it takes 20 minutes for somebody to destroy our faith because we haven't really equipped our students. I think a lot of times people say, you know, Christian kids are being talked out of their faith. And I would challenge that and say, I don't know if they've ever been talked into their faith. Hmm. I want to talk Christian kids into their faith and say, hey, there's really good reasons to believe this. There's faith, absolutely. But I don't think it's a blind faith. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you said something um, right before we started the show, and that is how important it is to be secure in our faith, which is, you said, even more important than sharing our faith, we have to be secure in our faith, mm-hmm. all right? So, which is, yeah, talking Christians in, in into their faith. So why, why don't you talk about that statement? Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of times when we talk about apologists, if, if people even have a reference point for that, usually they see it as, well, that's for people to go out and share their faith, which I think it's a part of that. I think apologetics is great for sharing their faith, but really my passion, and I don't feel like I've ever been super passionate about evangelism. I've always been really super excited about discipleship and I want to reach out to people, but I also want to make sure that people that we currently have in the church, that they know why they believe what they believe. So let me give you some quick statistics. 75% of Christian kids walk away from the Christian faith at the age of 18. There's a variety of reasons for this, intellectual, emotional, volitional. There's a lot of different things that are going on in Christian kids' heads. But what we know is that of those 75%, 32% of those kids said the reason they walked away is because nobody answered my questions. And as I thought about this, I mean, think about a major organization like Walmart. If the, somebody on the board said, hey, we just did some statistics. We found out a study that 75% of our constituents leave when they turn age 18. You would be for sure that that company would change their strategy very quickly. And if they identified it down that just 32% of their people had questions that nobody was answering, they'd be like, well, we just need to answer these questions. And I think that's what we try to do at Peoria Christian School. I think that's what we're trying to do here at our church is really equip our kids so that when they go to the university and somebody brings up the God delusion by Richard Dawkins or somebody brings up a question that they go, oh, I've heard that before, you know, and so they say, well, where'd you hear that for? Well, I heard it from my pastor. I heard it from my professor. I heard it from my Bible teacher. I heard it from my youth pastor. I think that's the most disarming thing that we can do is people to say, yeah, we're not afraid of these things. We just had an event here at our church on Monday, Thursday, where we debated the resurrection with a local atheist. Why do we do that? Because I want our church to know that we are aware of these arguments. We're not afraid of these arguments. Are they tough conversations? Absolutely. But they're conversations that need to happen. We cannot pretend that a culture is not challenging truth in this 21st century. Hmm. And I think, like you said, one of the reasons why we were even, why we even have this problem is I mean, I grew up. I grew up in, in church culture. I grew up where we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There was a Bible study in there. There was a, a small group, a prayer meeting. There was always something going on, and um, we were told not to answer, not not to ask questions. Just you just believe. You know, you don't need to ask yeah. questions, and yeah. that actually creates doubt, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think once again we we make a confusion between faith, which the Bible talks about all the time, but the Bible does never talk about blind faith. The Bible doesn't say that our, our faith has to be irrational. The Bible does not say that our faith needs to be without evidence. I always like to tell people Jesus Christ needed to die and resurrect. He didn't need to show himself for 40 days to have four or 500 eyewitnesses. He did that. He was giving evidence. Thomas said that I need to touch him and see him. And what does Jesus do? He honors his request. And so I think many times we have venerated blind faith in the church. And yet the Bible talks about faith, not blind faith. Good man, man, that's that's good. So, where where 
where should a Christian begin? Where's the be- starting point to to understand how to answer questions? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's just like anything else. Um, you know, one of the biggest pushbacks I got from Peoria Christian when we first started this was that it was going to be too academic. It was going to be too philosophical. It was going to be where were the students' heads. And one of the things that I wanted to challenge our administration with was, you know, think about it. A junior in high school is doing calculus by the time they're 17. How are they able to do calculus, which I think is infinitely more academic than what we're talking about here? It's because we started them at a very young age and we prepared them. So you start doing basic math and then it moves up to algebra and then it moves up to geometry and then it moves up. And so now when you're 17, you can do pre-calculus and calculus. Why? Because you've been brought along. And so I think what we have to do in our church is we have to make sure that we're training our people to think and to think well, not just in apologetics, but in theology, um, that we're put, putting all these things together. And so I always like to say, I think the biggest mistake maybe we're making in the church right now is when we do get excited about apologetics, we separate it from the church. And we so we say, hey, on a Wednesday night, we're going to have this apologetics group. Well, the problem with this, who comes to the apologetics group? A bunch of apologists, you know? <laughs> and so what I say is that apologetics needs to be the blood of the church and not the arm of the church. Hmm. It needs to be a part of every different ministry, every different organization. And, and once again, it doesn't have to be the center point of all those, but as you're having a Bible study, apologetics should be undergirding that. As you're preaching, apologetics should be undergirding that. As you're having a, a small group, apologetics should be a part of that. Um, and so I think we have to make it the blood of the church, not the arm of the church. All right, well, in your experience, do you think there are a lot of pastors out there that f- fall into the same trap as a lot of Christians and really don't know why they believe what they believe? I, I think they I think they do just because that's the way they were trained. I mean, I think if you look back 20 years ago, seminaries, I, I, t- I mean, I went to Moody Bible Institute. I did an MDiv there 96 hours and I had one class called evangelism and apologetics. And I think we had like three sections, three class periods on apologetics. Um, and then the rest of it was was theology, which I think is really great. But I think if you were to do a quick Google search today and you looked at some of the major seminaries out there, almost every major seminary out there has a master's in apologetics because I think they're recognizing that we're sending people into the field and they're not being asked about what Mark teaches or the Sermon on the Mount or the Gospels. What they're being asked is, how do I know that this book is true? And I think they're realizing that the questions in the 21st century are different than the questions of the 20th century. In the 20th century, people just accepted that the Bible was true. They just accepted that God existed and that they needed to be better. But in the 21st century, people aren't even letting us to get to that question. So we go to the book of Romans and they say, well, I don't even believe the book of Romans. Well, I can't preach from the book of Romans if a person doesn't believe the book of Romans. I mean, it's a foundational thing for them to accept this as the word of God. And so I think that's where we're recognizing the disparity and the loss today in this culture. Man, well, I know from personal example, even myself, I mean, I've been pastoring Rock Church now almost 20 years, and I wasn't taught apologetics. I had to learn on my, lo- on my own. And the reason I learned is because I had to start answering questions. When somebody asked me questions, yeah. I didn't want to give them a link. I didn't want to say, go watch this video. Yeah. I didn't want to answer by saying, well, you need to, to read this. I wanted to know so I could so I could share it. So we have been intentional about weaving yeah. apologetics throughout sermons on a regular basis. And um, so I love, I love what yeah, you said. You know, go ahead. I, I would just echo that, you know. 
Um, we just did that event here the other night. We did a debate on the resurrection and we had 300 plus people show up to this event, which, you know, we was we thought that was a huge success. Um, and it was interesting because I think, you know, had we brought in a top rate apologist, he would have done significantly better than I would have done in the debate. But I don't think we would have had 300 people. The reason I think we had 300 people is because it was one of our own pastors preaching to our people, giving them confidence. And I think people get confidence from that. I know many times when I've had questions and doubts, I've leaned on the faith and the knowledge of other people. And I think people want to look in their church. And if you give them a link and if you give them a book, they may or they may not read it. But if they know that you, Chuck Tate, have wrestled with this and that they can come to you and that they can break bread with you and that they can see you, I think it gives them tremendous amount of confidence. It's almost like they have confidence by proxy that because they know that you wrestled with this, they're confident, even if they don't understand it. And so I think you guys are on the right path, just weaving that throughout every ministry and through your sermons and that people just see that it's not separate. It's not, once again, it's not the arm of the church. It's the blood of the church. Jesus Christ never separated that. The gospels never separated. It says in the book of Acts that Paul reasoned with people in the synagogue. You know, they don't separate that out to say that Paul reasoned with the intellectuals. It says that Paul reasoned with the people in the synagogues. Some people need apologetics. Some people don't. My wife, she, she doesn't really need it. I mean, if, if you challenged her faith, she would just say, hey, that's my faith. I just believe it. There's really nothing you could say to her. And that's great. That's the way that God wired her. But that's not the way he wired me. And I think we have to recognize there are people in our church and sadly, there's many people that are not in our church because we will not answer their questions. And they want us to be honest and, and they'll say, listen, I understand there's a faith and there's experiential element, but you've got to help me believe. I believe apologetics is a language. If I move to another country, I learn the language of the people. The language of the intellectual is apologetics. Man, so well, let's ask. Let me ask you a couple questions then, and then we'll see how much time we have, and then we'll... Um... We'll get your thoughts on the on the resurrection, on whether it's fact or fiction. But um, yeah, when, when somebody says to you, or for those that are watching, listening, we've probably a lot of us have had somebody say this to us. How would you respond to the statement? I believe Jesus was a great teacher, but that's all. Yeah, I, I think you have a really hard time with that because uh, to say that Jesus was was just a teacher and, and nothing more. Um, the Bible doesn't support that. History doesn't support that. Um, and, and once again, what I like to always ask is if Jesus was just a great teacher, then why'd they kill him? Uh, I mean, you don't kill people for claiming to be a teacher. You don't kill people for being a teacher. You kill people for blasphemy. And that's what the Bible records. And, and once again, historical fact, I mean, not even debated among historians is that Jesus was killed. Um, and so you have to ask the question, well, why'd they kill him? Well, because he was making an audacious claim that he was the son of God, to which I think he backed up. Um, so I, so that just really doesn't, I mean, that statement, I consider what I think pop apologetics, like there's just no, there's no basis behind it. Like a good, a good atheist who's kind of read and studied and is articulate. He wouldn't bring that up. Like he just, he would be like, all right. All right. Yeah. Well then, then, you know, how, how would you respond and without, without naming names, but there are are people in evangelical Christianity, well, there are people that are kind of straying from evangelical Christianity, but there are, are well-known authors and, and pastors. And, um, you know, I, I saw something recently by somebody who was pretty well-respected, pretty well-known, sold a lot of books, who, who made this statement. The accounts recorded by the Apostle Paul are just ancient writings, not the inspired Word of God. You know, so you would think the person 
the person who said that's supposed to be on our team, but what's your, what's your response yeah. to how How do we respond to that? Yeah, I think the response to that's a little nuanced in that, um, one, I, I do think that the Gospels are, are inspired and errant. I think they are infallible in the originals. And, and so what we have today, I think we do have mistakes in our current, but I think when you look back to the originals, which what is the definition of inspiration and errancy is back to the originals. Um, so I think you have to kind of make an explanation there. But I would kind of push that person on that and go, okay, so what's the big deal? I, I mean, once again, if, if the resurrection is a historical event, it, it doesn't even it's not necessary that the Bible be inspired in there. If it's a history, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he came back to life. That's all we need to know. That's all that, that's all that matters for our salvation and for our hope. Now I do believe that the Bible is inspired and errant. Let me make that very clear, but I don't think that the Bible has to be an inspired and errant for Jesus Christ to be risen from the dead. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, game over. Christianity yes. is true. Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk about the resurrection. We have about eight minutes left. Fact or fiction? Okay. Yeah, so I went with the uh, fact position. My atheist friend went with the fiction position, and we had a, a great discussion. And, you know, I think it was a huge win for us. We had 300-plus people at this event. Um, it was, uh, you know, I, I think the response from people afterwards was, was very positive. But some of the takeaways I took from it were just things that I didn't even realize going into it. The idea that I think people get encouraged by, by knowing somebody and seeing them up on stage and knowing that they're not afraid to wrestle with these questions. I think more than anything, I wanted the church to see that one, we are aware of these questions. Two, we have good answers to these questions. And three, we are very okay with having civil discourse. I think I use the illustration, you know, if my wife ever challenged me and said, Hey, um, I think you're doing some things that aren't good on your phone. I think you're cheating on me. I think you're texting somebody. One of the most disarming things that I can do is give her my phone. And I think one of the most disarming things that the church can do is an invite an atheist to the church and say, yeah, we'd love to talk to you because that shows them, Hey, we are aware, we know what's going on and we are willing to have this conversation because we have nothing to hide. If Christianity is true, we have nothing to be afraid of. Amen. Cool. Well, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. In other words, our preaching is empty. Our, why, why even waste our time? So we believe that the, the resurrection is fact. What are some of the reasons that you gave in the debate that the, re, the resurrection is true? Yeah. Yeah, so I, so I did my dissertation on this, and so uh, I, I don't think uh, my gift to the apologetics world has really been intellectual. I think it's been more functional and systematic, and that I feel like I have an ability to kind of bring some of this um, very academic information down to a lay basic level. And so uh, for my dissertation, I created a curriculum, and I used the acronym RISEN to give five points for why I think the resurrection is a historical event. And so RISEN stands for R, reliability of historians. And so we see 17 different historians who talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Josephus, Tacitus, Marbar, Serapion, Pliny the Younger, Pliny the Elder. Uh, the second letter I stands for it's missing the body. And I think this is a very compelling argument that the fact that we don't have the body of Jesus Christ, that um, it's never been produced. And so you have a couple of theories out there that maybe the disciples stole the body or the Romans stole the body or they got lost and they went to the wrong tomb or um, that Jesus is buried in a low-lying grave. But I think the most plausible explanation is that the resurrection, the reason we don't have the body today and the reason we don't have the body back then, the reason that they couldn't produce the body, I mean, within just a few days after 
the resurrection, people were talking in the Citadel of Jerusalem about Jesus Christ who's risen. All the people would have had to do to disprove that was to go show the body. You show the body of Jesus, the whole thing dies off. Yet nobody throughout history has ever been able to produce the body. Why? Because I think it's resurrected. Uh, the S stands for the severe change in disciples. So you look at uh, the disciples, they go from believing Jesus. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus asked Peter at one point, who do you say that I am? He says, well, you're the Christ. And then we see Peter deny Jesus three times. And then we see Peter being martyred for his faith later on. We see this with most of the disciples after this. They go to their death saying that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So why do we see such a severe change in them? Uh, the E stands for early creeds, that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 passage you just quoted. Many historians think dates back to within years, maybe even months of the resurrection. So even though the Gospels weren't written probably till 55, 60 AD, that this statement was being passed around Jerusalem within months of the resurrection. And even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, uh, these people are eyewitnesses. He basically was challenging them. Hey, if you don't believe me, go ask these people. They're still alive today. You can go test them. And then I think the last one is the N stands for numerous eyewitnesses, 500 eyewitnesses uh, for 40 days. Jesus shows himself. I think it makes compelling reasons for the resurrection. And I think Jesus was giving apologetics. I think he was giving evidence for the reason to believe in the resurrection. Man, that's good. <laughs> you rattled that off, man. That's in wow, you. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, so how did how did the debate go? I mean, you, obviously, you, you you shared that, and you were debating an atheist. How how was it? I think I think it was good. You know, Zach is a is a friend of mine, and he's uh, he he helps out with the atheist organization here in Dallas. Dallas is the ninth largest city here, three thousand members in the atheist society, and he was you know kind enough to come out, and I think it was a win for. Him, I think it was a win for us. I think the church saw that we weren't afraid. I think that uh, they also saw that uh, that atheists can be really nice, articulate people. Um, I think that um, we just had a great night. And I think one of the most compelling things for me was it was about an hour and 30 minutes we did the debate and Q&A. And uh, I bet you uh, an hour after the event, we still had about 150 people here still talking in the lobbies and in the, in the parking lots just a lot of conversations. I mean, and to this day, people are still having this conversation because I think it was so different for them. I mean, when you go to church, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. When you came to this debate, you had no idea what you were going to get. And I think there was a lot of buzz around it. I think there was a lot of talk. There's still people that are emailing me and saying, hey, are we going to do this again? When are we going to do this again? What are we going to do? Can you come to our event and do this? So I, I think that there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of positive motion in this because I think it's scratching an itch that people have. I think people who are in the marketplace are being asked these questions. I think people that watch the TV or are on the internet, they're wrestling with this stuff and maybe they don't feel comfortable to admit it, but deep inside they're going, I've always wondered about that, you know? And so I want to check our faith and say, let's make our faith a part of all of our life. Not that we have to check our brains at the door, but to say, Hey, we can have faith, but it doesn't have to be a blind faith. Man, that's good. Good. Well, how can people find you? I mean, you've, I appreciate you sharing this information with us. I wish we had more time to un unpack more, man. But um, how can people yeah. follow Joe Paris? Yeah, so if you go to joeparis.org, that's my website. And I've got a lot of resources on there. And actually, if you sign up for my newsletter, I'm going to be sending out some information on the debate. Um, also, you'll find links there to go to the resurrection debate. You'll find that on YouTube. 
Um, and then as you, you and I have kind of talked, uh, I'll be finishing my book here in about a month. And that's really kind of introductory apologetics, just how to help people have conversations with people. I think uh, that's been a struggle for a lot of people. You know, I've done these conferences before and I'll get done and people will say, OK, what do I do now? And I've never really had a great answer for that just because I needed something more introductory, basic. And so um, I'm finishing my book here in probably the next month, and I'd like to get that out here pretty soon. And so hopefully that'll help people in, in these conversations. But but really, more than anything, just helping people in their own interpersonal just dealing with this as they think about it. Awesome, man. Well, I'm cheering you on from, from Illinois. I can't wait, cannot wait to read the book. And once you do publish yeah. the book, we'll have you back on and we'll have you share about it, man. This would be good. Well, I'd like I'm making my plans up. I'll be back up there in, in, a, in a couple of months when it's warmer. So y'all just warm up a little bit and I'll be back. All right. Well, we'll get you at Rock Church. So I look forward to, to having you back. Can you do something for us? Can you close us out in prayer for those that are watching and listening? Those, are, those that are struggling with their faith, those that have questions. And um, can you just take us out by praying for them? Yeah. Love to. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah. Lord, we do thank you for this time, and we are excited um, about what you're doing in the church, what you're doing through Chuck, what you're doing through the Rock Church. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use that ministry to reach people. Lord, I pray that you would continue to reach people with the, the hope and the message of 41 Strong, Lord, that people would know that today, 41 will come. Lord, that you would just give us hope of the resurrection and hope of a new day. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate that this Easter week. Um, Lord, that we would remember that uh, even the weeks coming forward. We thank you so much for all that you've done and that you're going to do today for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate your time with Thanks us so today, much. man. Yeah. It's been all right. <laughs> it has been. It has been. Well, listen, my guest has been Joe Paris. For more information about him, you can go to his website, joeparis.org, joeparis.org, and you'll be able to see how to follow him on all his social media platforms as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So I encourage you, go sign up for his newsletter and start getting secure in your faith. All right. Well, listen, for our, um, for our producer, Mike Sable, I'm Chuck Tate. We look forward to seeing you next week on 41 Strong. PeoriaLife.com.